Hey, welcome to Church Alive. Our mission is to reach, teach, and empower people to impact their generation for Christ. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the message. But just stop it. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to pray in a moment and just believe the touch of God's going to be upon this place and upon my iPad. I've got a little extra charger here this morning because I was having all kinds of iPad problems, technology problems. Might have to go back to paper and pens. Some of the young people are like, no, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't ever write with a pen. That'd be weird. Anyway, you doing good? Great to see you in the house of God. Whether you're new today or been with us a long time, man, just praying that heaven's best to be for you today. Come on, close your eyes with me. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for every man and every woman here in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you for the plan you have for them, their family, this community. I thank you, God, for our part in the world. I thank you, God, that you are good. You are for us. And I just believe that this moment and these times we get together, Lord, that through the worship and through the messages, through the times of before church and after church, God, I thank you that you are building something eternal and significant. I thank you, God, that your message, your gospel, your word is powerful to change our lives. So I welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit here right now. And I believe for you to breathe afresh on us in a new and significant way in the mighty name of Jesus. And before you say amen, I want us to pray something and declare something for a moment. And the reason I want us to do it is because there's something that happens to you when you say something over your world. I believe that your mind shifts your heart, your tongue shifts your heart, and your heart shifts your tongue. But sometimes your heart takes a while to catch up to your tongue. And I believe... Well, Scripture declares this and teaches this, that God shows up to a man called Abram and he has to change his tongue before he changes his life. And he has to change Simon's tongue before he changes his life. And I believe that for some of you today, it is so powerful what you have to say over your own life. Because so many people have said defeat over you or all kinds of things over you. But I want us to exercise faith and just declare that God's going to do something in our world. Whether we even believe it, or whether you're kind of like, I'm not sure, just let your tongue lead and eventually your heart will catch up. Does that make sense? Come on, let's declare this. Jesus, I thank you. You made me. You have a plan for my life. And I declare today that I will fulfill it. I declare I, I will receive the Word of God by faith. Something will shift in my life as I bring faith to this moment. I declare you are good, you are for me, and I will be all I'm called to be in the name of Jesus. And if you believe it, come on, give the Lord a hand in the house of God. Come on. All right, grab your seat, slap your neighbor, tell them they're good looking. Let me give you the title of my sermon today. It will be, Who's Holding Your Ladder? If you like to take notes in church, Who's Holding Your Ladder? Who's Holding 
your ladder. Um, I was, the other day, my wife was like, babe, um, there's birds getting into our, our house. And I was like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? She's like, fix it. That's because you're a man. You need to go fix things. How many of you men in here, you are mechanically challenged or, or like you're just not that good at practical things? No, there's a bunch more of you you're hiding. Um, but, but I envy those of you who are just brilliant at that kind of stuff. And, and whenever I need something done in my house, I go find a man who's actually good at it. And then I go hang out with him because then I can learn something. And uh, so recently I was... Uh, I, I asked uh, Magno to come to my house and um, we literally had to get up on our playroom and we had to get a ladder and then we had to fix this siding thing that had fallen down and all kinds of birds were doing all kinds of things in, in, in this place. And, um, and the, the weird thing was, was that we had a ladder, but the problem was, was that the, the roof was quite sloped, not, not dangerously, not desperately, but it was sloped enough the Magno gets up on the ladder and I am there and I'm holding the ladder and he's, and he was literally scared. I just want to let you know right now. He was scared as he was up there, but he's trying to be a man. He's trying to be brave, but he's up on there. Literally. It's not a joke. Actually, he was scared. And, um, and he was fixing it and he's more handy than I am. I'm kind of holding his ladder. He's like, are you holding it? I'm like, I'm holding it. Are you holding it? I'm holding it. We're having this dialogue and so forth. And um, it was kind of, it was just kind of funny. And then at one point I got up there. I'm not sure if he just wussed out. I'm not sure what he did. Um, but I got up there at one point and, um, and then he had to hold my ladder. He's like, I got you. I got you. And then he almost let me go because he wasn't strong enough to hold me. And but we were having some funny conversations, to be honest, about the roof, was that if you didn't have someone there who was going to hold your ladder, you literally would have a bad day very quickly. And I, and I honestly believe that so often we are waiting until we have a bad day. We are waiting till we fall off the roof. We are waiting till we break our leg. We are waiting till we break our arm. We are waiting till life beats us up to finally admit that we need someone holding our ladder. We need other people alongside us. We need someone holding our ladder. There's times in life we need to hold someone else's ladder. And I just want to ask you that question today. As we this week launch our transform groups, like who's holding your ladder? And, and not just who's holding your ladder, whose ladder are you holding? Because it's one thing to have someone who's there for you. It's another thing to be the person who's actually there for someone else. And I believe that every time, every time in life, God often strengthens you, not so much by you're on top of the ladder, but by someone else coming around side you or you being the person and letting them know through a text message, letting them know through a phone call, hey, I'm there for you. I was chatting to someone this week, not from our church, and he's gone through a very difficult time in his marriage. And he said to me, literally, to be honest, I don't know if my heart's in it anymore. It might be dead. And, and we just got together and we prayed for a few minutes and just was trying to encourage him and tell him to get around the right people and just had to let him know, hey, man, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to hold your ladder. I'll pray for you. We'll pray together on this thing. But come on, you need to get around some people who are going to hold your ladder. Are you with me, Church Alive? See, one of the challenges of our culture is we have so many blessings in our culture. And I hope you know that and I hope you thank God for that. Like 
air conditioning. Like heating. Like where we get in cold cars and we think our bottom's too cold. And then we do this. We go, oh. And we just turn up the temperatures. What we do, you know. We, we have freezers and we have fridges. And, and um, I have, you have probably four or five different things you could choose for breakfast. And a lot of the world is like rice. Maybe something else you caught. But we're like, should I have oatmeal today? Or should I have a, a shake with protein in it? Or should I have a banana? Should I have some toast with a muffin? Should I have a muffin? Should I have peanut butter on the muffin? Should I have jelly on the muffin? Should I do honey? Should I do Nutella? God's, God's chocolate? I mean, should I just do some Nutella? And, and, and be just disappointed at myself later for my lack of self-control? Like, what should I, should I just put butter on it? Um... Should I just do eggs? Should I, should I have eggs? I, 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 I literally, sometimes I just do four eggs and then and I'm like, you know what? Let's put some hot sauce on it. A little ketchup on it too. And I'm just going to mix it around and have a good time, you know? Like think of all the ridiculous options that you and I have. We're so blessed in so many ways. But one of the challenges of the culture that you and I live in is an individualistic mentality. An individualistic. So when I say that God has a plan for you, you, we often do this and we don't even realize that we kind of individualize this or put this in a glass as a framework that says, God has a plan for me, but it's not really connected to other people because it's about me. But it's not true. God has a plan for you, but it's never disconnected from your family. God has a plan for you. It's never disconnected from his church. It's never ever disconnected from his kingdom. It's always connected to people. And the problem sometimes is that we are looking for God's purpose to come to about, but we, we don't realize that if we'll just get about helping other people and holding some other people's ladders, that we'll actually begin to fulfill it and we won't even realize it. And too many Christians are wandering around going, God, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And he's like, well, do you see the people around you? You're like, yeah, we'll help them. You're like, no, 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 God, I, I want you to show me what you want for me. And he's like, yeah, I want you to help them. You're like, no, no, no. See, what I want is this individual unique calling that's like multi-billionaire owns an island, but like Mother Teresa Rich helps lots of people. And we begin to tell God in, in a lot of ways what we'll do for him and what we don't what we won't do for him. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I grew up watching movies like Rambo, Predator, Get to the Chopper. I grew up watching Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, kick everyone's butt. I, I grew up watching, even actually recently, The Equalizer, Denzel Washington. You don't need no help. You got you. I grew up watching... Um, I didn't grow up watching John Wayne, but I heard of John Wayne. I'm not that old. Bruce Willis, Die Hard. Just come on, just one of the best movies of all time. Let's just be honest. But Bruce Willis saved the day. And he had a tiny bit of help from other people, but really it was about Bruce. And sometimes our lives are actually a bit like that because when we think God has a plan for us, it is too disconnected from the people around us. And so I just want to 
try and today make sure that we have less individualism when it comes to the call of God and the plan of God for your life. Because God never calls you privately on an island by yourself to just commune with Him in the blissness of the universe. And just like, oh Lord, me and you will become one. See, church seems perfect until you get around people. Because we spend a lot of time praising the Lord and focusing on the Lord. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but they're not perfect. But the problem is they're also saying that about you. See, you don't need a perfect church. You want a healthy church. Let me even say this about transform groups. You don't need a perfect transform group. You want a healthy one. You want a growing one. But it won't be perfect. Because you'll be there. And I'll be there. And imperfect people will grow together. Are you with me? Let me jump into the text today. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 18. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess, and all you men of valor shall pass over armed before your brothers, the children of Israel. But your wives and your little ones and your livestock, for I know that you have much livestock, he says you blessed, shall remain in your cities which I have given you. Verse 20, until the Lord has given rest to your brothers as well as to you, and until they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond the Jordan, then each of you shall return to his possession which I have given you. Let me summarize this verse real quick. And I want you to show the map on the screen, guys. Okay. The children of Israel over here was the desert. To my east, if you head east... That was the desert. And God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt through the desert. And then, if you remember last week in our Transform the Weekend, I began to talk about how God wanted them to cross through the Jordan, follow the priests who were carrying the temple or carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they were to go into the place of descent, but they would come out of the place of ascent and they were to walk into the promised land. But watch this, Manasseh, the tribe of Israel, Gad, or half the tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, these are the three of the 12, they go into the place and guess what? They didn't have to cross the Jordan. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 3 that God is speaking, the verse I just read to you, God is speaking to the half tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben and he says something very interesting. He says... You are to leave your kids here and your, and your wife here and they're going to do summer camp together. But you guys, you fighting men, you warriors, you are going to cross the Jordan with everyone else. And guess what? He says this. He says, you're not coming back to this place until all of them inhabit the place I've called for them. Which, which says something very deep, which says they got to Manasseh, Gad and Reuben. How many know that they got to the promised land? Someone say, they're blessed. They're blessed. They literally move into the place and they've been waiting for this land for like 500 years. So that's a long time to wait. So how many know there would be a major temptation to just go, I got my blessing. I came into my land. You go fight for your land. You just got unlucky because your land's further away than my land. 
And the, the Gad and Manasseh and Reuben literally go into a land. They see the land. They feel the land. It's a good land. It's a place for pasture. It's a place for livestock. They're like, my goodness, this is the place God brought us. And he says, oh, but by the way, you can't camp out here yet. I want you to make sure that the person around you is blessed. I want you to make sure that the other nine tribes inherit their land. I want you to fight for others. I want you to come alongside other people because God says, I'm not giving you this land just for you to be blessed. You need to be blessed. That's great. But at the same time, you need to fight for someone else. Can I get a good amen? Let me give you point number one today is this. You're called to fight for others and with others. You're called to fight for others and with others. You see, it's not just you having spiritual warfare on your own. How many know that sometimes you need to stick up your hands, text a friend, call a friend, hang out with a friend, even face to face? I mean, I know that's weird, but let's just even get together. And just say, hey, would you pray for me because I'm having a rough week? Like that's humility, right? You're literally going, hey, because sometimes you come to church on Sunday, like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Doing great. Blessed. Highly favored. And you kind of give them the Christian like lingo and you might be blessed, but, and sometimes you need to talk about how blessed you are even sometimes when you're not. But at the same time, sometimes you need to peel back the, the, the face for a moment and go, oh wait, I'm actually struggling. Like if 80% of you blessed and 20% of you isn't, like sometimes you're going to suck it up and go, I'm blessed. But if 10% of you, it seems blessed and 90% of you seems like you're struggling, guess what? You need to call somebody. You better talk to someone. You need to get a hold of someone. Don't be by yourself. See, we are called to fight for others. You are called. Let me say this. Someone say, I am called, say, we are called to fight for others, with others. See, what happened when they crossed the Jordan, it was not just this, oh, we're now in the promised land. Actually, it was go time. It was fight time. And I found this, when you really get a hold of God's purpose, you'll actually find it's not just sitting by the trees with Jesus. No, it's actually, let's go. Let's do something. Let's make a difference. Let's serve on a team. Let's get in a group. Let's, let's be part of something. Are you with me, Church Alive? I want to try and challenge this thought today that my faith is personal. It's me and God and that's it. Your faith should be personal. It shouldn't be your mom's religion. It shouldn't be grandma's religion. No, it must be personal in your heart. But a true outworking of your faith, always, someone say always, always plays out in relationships. Always plays out in relationships. Let me show the, this picture. God shows up to Abraham. Guess what? It wasn't about Abraham. It was about Abraham's generation. When God shows up to, to Jonah, it wasn't about Jonah. It was about Nineveh. When God shows up to Peter, it wasn't about Peter. It was about the Jews. When God shows up to Paul, it wasn't about Paul. It was about the Greeks. See, you, you've got to look past you to be used of God. You've got to be, you look past your comfort. You've got to be look, you've got to look past your sofa. You've got to look past your Netflix. You've got to look past some things. You've got to look past like I only get up late. You've got to look past some things. You have to look past some things. Are you with me, Church Alive? 
Let me show you an intimate moment of Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 25. Jesus is literally dying on the cross. He is about to pass away, about to give up his spirit, and he takes this very relational moment with Mary, his mother, and a very relational moment with John, and he connects the two. And here's what he says. He says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's uh, mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, speaking of John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, someone say at that moment, at that moment, the disciple took her to his own home. Watch the call of God. Jesus is so concerned for his family that as he's dying, he's not cussing the people who killed him. He's literally taking care of Mary and taking care of John. Now, who does he give John and Mary to? He gives Mary to the one who loved him the most. And so he knew that John would take care of Mary. And John is an apostle. John ends up writing 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation. But he also took care of Mary. Little bit of pressure. Take care of Mother Mary. Like, wouldn't you feel the way? I need to take care of Jesus' mother. Feel a bit of pressure. It's only the one that was a virgin and then gave birth to the Messiah. And Jesus gave me the assignment to love her, take care of her. Are you with me? See, in our culture, sometimes what would happen is John might say something like this, Jesus, excuse me, you're dying on the cross. I just have a few words. Um, Jesus, I know you want me to take care of your mother, but I don't really do organized religion. Um, I like disorganized religion, which means um, I like from time to time might pop in on Mary and I might give her a sandwich when I feel like it. Occasionally, when I'm really moved after worship, after I come to the latest service because I could sleep in the most, I want to occasionally give Mary a ham and cheese sandwich because I don't like organized. That feels like a lot of pressure to me. Actually, it sounds like Jesus, you're giving me a lot of commitment. Let me, let me say this. Men make their commitments and their commitments make them. Men and women make their commitments and their commitments make them. I'm probably like you. I know, like I went into marriage going, oh, this is a big deal. I remember signing the first purchase of a car. I was like, oh, should we do it? I remember buying a house for the first time. I was just like, oh, should we do it? Should we sign it? I felt the nervousness every time I made a commitment. Every time. I remember when... My wife was like, hey, babe, we're going to start the church. And, and I remember it was three weeks till our church was going to start in Kearney. And I was like, oh, it's real now. 
But it was the commitment to do what is sometimes uncomfortable that actually propels you to a level of maturity that you can never, ever get to outside of that. You see, why are you nervous sometimes to marry someone? Because it's the commitment. But it's the commitment that actually makes you who you are. It's, it's nervous, like, oh my gosh, we're going to have kids. This is for real now. Yeah, that's a commitment of a lifetime. But it is your commitments to what you really uphold and what you really believe that actually form you on the inside. And Jesus says, I don't want you to have this unorganized, whenever you feel like it, ham and cheese moment with Mary. John, she's your mom. Take her. Care for her. Because you love me. Are you with me, Church Alive? See, I believe this, that relationships are the vehicle of hope. Relationships are the vehicle of hope. Relationships are the vehicle of encouragement. Relationships are the vehicle of laughter. You got no joy in your world. You need to hang out with some funnier people and tell some jokes. Relationships are the vehicle of transformation. God does not just want to save you. He wants to transform you. God does not just want to leave you forgiven. He wants you to make a difference. And the only way you make a difference is because you are connected to a group of people that eventually someone looks you in the eye and says, I am here for you. I am here for you. Come hell or high water. I am here for you. Now I love it. Listen, if you attend this church, great. I get it on a attendance and I'm checking it out, Pastor Anthony and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you begin to pray, God, where do you want me? Because it's not attending that changes your life. It's committing that changes your life. How many thank God Jesus didn't attend the cross? He didn't show up, look and go, no, that's a little bit too much. He committed himself to the cross. He didn't attend church. He didn't attend his father. He was committed to his father. At the end of this day, many of you are going to watch some highlights of football and they're going to highlight some great players. And a great player is never a great player without a great team. The great team highlights the great player. But too many Christians are trying to do great things without actually being on a team. You can't win NFL championships until you actually get on a team. Like, because... The fans come and the fans go, but the team stays. And the team puts on the work and puts on the helmet and puts on the pads and literally fights sometimes with the other team members. And you, and you notice sometimes that you, you'll find out a player who's so talented, yet he can't come in line with the team. And his challenge is he's talented, but he thinks his talent is everything. But the challenge is his talent is not everything. It is actually the character and the formation and what you do when it doesn't go your way. Haven't you noticed that everyone believes in forgiveness until someone offends them? And then you believe in justice. It's like, Miss America, I want world peace. We believe in forgiveness until someone wrongs us and then we believe in justice and I can't handle that place anymore. But I want to tell you today, listen, someone's going to offend you and upset you at some point on your Christian journey and you have to decide already, are you going to be a offendable person or are you going to be a forgiving person? And too many people think that their, 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 their Bible study 
will somehow preempt them from having to do it. It doesn't. I can assure you, I can assure you if you're going to follow Jesus long enough, someone will upset you. You're a great friend to someone and they weren't a great friend back. And you have to decide, are you going to be an offendable person or are you going to be a forgiving person? Every team in our church, I guarantee there's normally, and here's the thing, if you think your team's the most amazing team ever, then maybe your team's been putting up with you. Isn't that funny? Like sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, there's no one on our team that needs special grace. You're like, wait a minute, I might need special grace because I show up late every time and my attitude sucks all the time. Are you with me? I don't believe your faith can be powerful, disconnected from the right people. First Samuel chapter 22 says this. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Can I have the worship team to come back? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. And there gathered to him everyone that was in distress and everyone in debt and everyone that was discontented. So he became captain over them. Now there were with him about 400 men. Now, here's what's weird. Let me read this to you in the Message Bible. Here's what it says. It says, not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers. Don't you love the Bible? (laughs) Just tells you the way it is, people. Losers, vagrants, and misfits of all sorts. And David became their leader. They're about 400 in all. What's this now? 1 Samuel 22. 1 Chronicles Chapter 11, verse 10 says this. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened him in his kingdom along with all Israel to establish him as king according to the word of the Lord to Israel. These make up the number of the mighty men who fought for David. And then it goes on to begin to tell their stories. And it says this, uh, Jasher being the son of Hakmanai. How would you like your dad to be called Hakmanai? Hakmanai, the head of the thirty. Says this, he lifted his spear in triumph over 300 slain at one time and begins to list all these mighty men of David. And you're like, where did these mighty men come from? They were actually the in debt, the discontent, the, dis- the, the displaced. But guess what? They hung out with a giant slayer and they held his ladder. And they literally held his ladder and then they began to see how honorable he was. They began to see how he'd lean on faith and lean on God and how he wouldn't talk bad about Saul. And they began to look at him and go, wait, I need to copy him. I need to model myself after him. And the interesting thing is, he was such a man of God that, that, and a man of character and a man of valor that they didn't pull him down, he pulled them up. And he literally became, he was on the ladder, but they held the ladder. And they learned from him. And they kept modeling themselves after him. And I just want to tell some some people here today, listen. Number two, if you don't like the fruit of your life, the Lord is calling someone. He says, get in a transform group. I do want to say this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our men. Here's why. We have over 100, we have about 120 men signed up for Wednesday night 
And here's the thing. Men don't sign up for stuff. Men just show up. So I'm, I'm a little afraid how many men are coming here on Wednesday night. It's going to be awesome. We're going to deal with it. It's going to be great. And I know lots, I, I, like a thousand have signed up for Tuesday night for women and all kinds of stuff. Girls, they're just like, we just relational. This is what we do. We do relationships. And, and men are kind of, I'm not sure. Do I want a relationship? Listen to me. Number two. If you don't like the fruit of your life, check the cave you're spending time in. The discontent, the broken, the one lacking fathers, the the ones lacking models, modelship, they literally became the champions of that generation because they modeled their life after David. And I found this, if you get men and you get women who don't have good examples, if we don't place good examples in front of them, they they normally model the bad. But if you get them around the right environment, And I promise you this house is the right environment and our transform groups are the right environment to just begin to say, you know what? We're we're not going to stay where we are, but we're going to get around the right cave. And in that cave is the anointing of God. In that cave is modelship and discipleship and transformation itself. God will do something significant in your life. Can I get a good amen? Let me say this last point real quick if you'd like to take notes and I don't have time to expand on it. Number three. Be a part of a growing group, not a perfect group. Because sometimes our expectations when we show up to something is that it'll be perfect. No, show up. I'm here to grow. I'm here to be a blessing. And if you show up to church, if you show up to groups, if you show up to, to your job, I'm, I'm here to grow and I'm here to be a blessing. Wherever you go, you will be one. Do you believe that, Church Alive? Come on all across this place. Close your eyes with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are in the business of transformation. I ask you, God, to move in this place right now. Draw people who are disconnected from you. Maybe they've got religion or maybe they don't. But they may not have you. All across this place, in a moment of prayer, you know what God wants for you? He wants you to know him. And he wants you to make a difference. But the first step is you've got to know him. He died upon a cross, rose from the dead, so you and I could know him. So all across this place, if you don't know him today or you're not sure you don't know him, I'm going to pray a prayer and that prayer will lead you to a person. And then I'm going to ask you to pray that and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And just say, Pastor, that's me today. I either not want to know him or I'm not sure I do. And I'm going to lead you in that prayer. Come on, Church Alive, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. You love me. You have a plan for my life. Right now, by faith, I receive your grace. I become a child of God from this time on and forever. Make me to be who you called me to be. All across this place, my heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer on the count of three, would you quickly raise your hand, raise up high so we can see it. One, two, three. Raise up high, raise up high. Thank you, sweetheart. That's awesome. Thank you, that one. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's awesome today. Thank you, sweetheart. That one over there. That's awesome. Those of you that raise your hand, Father, let me, uh, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Father, just bless your people. Strengthen your people. 
in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And come on, if you receive God's word today, we give the Lord as you can. If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.